We are power crystals, getting cute, critical, and, and metaphysical. Welcome to a very special episode of We Are Power Crystals. This is Jason, and in this episode, I got the chance to interview Leah Garza, the beloved Leah Garza. Uh, We wanted to take some time to get to know each other, to share more of ourselves with everyone who listens. And it was really fun. It was really beautiful. Leah is such a magnificent spirit, such a brilliant thinker, and totally embodies the cute, critical, and metaphysical essence of this podcast. So please enjoy this episode, and thank you, Leah, for being so open and loving and sharing more of yourself. How are you doing? I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) So, Leah, what was your first concert? My first concert was Exposé. Oh my god! <laughs> 1987, Del Mar Fair, San Diego. Wow! But then my those then my second concert was Tony Tony Tony, and those two I don't really count because I feel like I was just so young. My cousin took me, but my first concert I was like I want to go to this was U two with Public Enemy and the Sugar Cubes in 1992. Mm. My mom took me and it was amazing. Wow! Yeah. First CD or cassette. Yes, my first tape was tape. In Excess Kick 1986. I was six or seven, seven years old, 87. I don't know. I was very young. <laughs> I've been into music a very long time. It doesn't make any sense, but yeah, In Excess Kick. Tell us about a time where you got in trouble. <sighs> Just um, one. I, oh, I mean, like, a time I got in trouble, like, I hopped the train a lot when I lived in San Francisco. Like, I would hop the Muni, and I got caught once, and I got in a lot of trouble, and I got actually detained for a little bit by the Muni police, um, but that, but not cuffed or anything, and wow. then they let me go, and I just had a big fine that I didn't pay. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. That's one time. I don't know. Yeah, that counts. Okay. (laughs) Have you had any premonitions come true? Yes. Um, When, well, I went, I had like a series of dreams Mm. for about six months before the Indonesia tsunami happened of tsunamis, like dreaming of tsunamis, dreaming of giant waves that like airplanes were crashing into, waves that were going to take over this like childcare facility that I was working in, like just like me trying to scramble to save people from these waves. And then that, I remember when the tsunami happening, watching the happened, watching the footage on TV and being like, I've seen that. The other one that I had a very distinct premonition of is when I went, I went to Northeastern university for my undergrad. It's in Boston. And I went to visit 10 days before school started for the first time. And one of the buildings was, exactly something I had seen in a dream. Exactly. And it just gave me, like, some confidence that I was on the right path. Uh, Fave Gwen Stefani era. 
My fave Gwen Stefani era is the first era of Gwen Stefani. I saw her play at this all ages club when I was like 15. She played with Guttermouth and Sublime, no doubt did. And I remember it's like this dingy, dark, all ages punk club. And she was like standing there with her platinum hair, wearing like a cutoff like tank top and like a fur collar. And she was like just emanating light and I'm like in my mind I was really like I had never seen I'd never seen a human being look like that up close she was so radiant and like glamorous so that was like really my favorite I know this is rapid fire but it's like that's how people look when they're doing their soul purposes yes totally um okay last question what extracurricular activities have you done um well uh, when i was in high school i was in the varsity badminton team not a joke i was a senior and i had a freshman partner because we were the two worst players oh i ended up dropping out of that i hated it but i also did band i also what instruments i play the piano the french horn and the cello oh french horn yes very regal um what else i've done i don't know i feel like that's it i can't remember anything else yeah dance i did dance when i was a kid (laughs) what genre tap and (laughs) jazz oh that's cute i hated it cool thank you for playing rapid fire with weird power crystals (laughs) (laughs) my pleasure (laughs) so digging into this interview can you tell us about where you grew up and what that was like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was born and raised in San Diego, California, um, to Nancy Garza and Arnold Garza. And I have a sister named Cynthia. Um, I grew up in, you know, a mixed race household. My dad is Mexican American. My mom is white. Um, we grew up pretty middle class. We grew up, yeah, I I don't know. It it was a simpler time in a lot of ways. I lived in, you know, I was born in 1980, so grew up in the eighties. Um, I knew when I was a very little kid that I wanted to get the hell out of San Diego. I Mm. really didn't feel like it was a place for me. Like I knew it as early as like maybe 10 or 11 and I had heard of this thing called UC Berkeley. <laughs> this thing. <laughs> and I was like, that's where I'm going to go. I don't know. Mm. I had seen, my mom had a friend that, she has a friend's, friend that lives in Oakland. And so we used to like go up there. And when I saw it for the first time, I just saw like all these like, you know, young people, their backpacks and their hacky sacks. Mm. And <laughs> I just felt like I wanted to live there. There was something pulling me there yeah but san diego has always i've always felt weird of center from san diego like not at home there yeah yeah what else i went to san diego high school i did spanish immersion elementary and love it yeah Mm -hmm. so you mentioned uc berkeley is that where you your political consciousness absolutely not 
Absolutely not. No, I did not go to UC Berkeley. I ended up going to oh. San Francisco. Okay. I moved to San Francisco when I was 19 years old. I took a year off after high school. I went to San Francisco State. I lived in Berkeley for a short time, but it was really difficult. So we ended up, me and my friend at the time, ended up moving to San Francisco. Um, and I mentioned this in another episode, but when I was young, I was not politically conscious at all right. in a way that was, in the way that I am now. I wasn't, I wasn't conscious. I listened to what my dad had to say and then followed him and he was a conservative Republican. I mentioned that the first time I voted, I was a registered Republican. Um, I do remember like going to San Francisco and all of my friends, you know, like I was immersed in like a DIY punk scene and all my friends were like very political and punk and like, mm. you know, doing protests for Mumia Abu-Jamal and like protesting mm-hmm. like for animal rights. And I just was not, I just thought it was stupid. I just <laughs> did not, I didn't, understand i -hmm. had like a desire to be a stand-up comedian i was not interested in (laughs) i think you could still do that oh yeah maybe i yeah i kind of i kind of still would want to but i'm just saying that i was a i was a late bloomer compared to a lot of the people that had a political consciousness like in their teens yeah yeah so then where did it come from where did you Mm. I went, so, like, I didn't graduate from state. I ended up moving back home, and because my life kind of fell apart, I was definitely partying too much and being irresponsible and not being, like, accountable in relationships and being a little wild, and it just wasn't sustainable. And I also had a desire to go back to school and, like, kind of, like, settle down a little bit. So I went home, I went to community college, I ended up transferring to Northeastern University in Boston, and I studied linguistics, and linguistics, I think, was the first, I mean, I always had an awareness of inequity because of my family's experience, like my dad talking Mm -hmm. about being the only Spanish speaker in his classroom when they moved to California and like my family being like migrant workers and working the circuit farms and seasonal farming in Bakersfield. And I always had like an awareness of inequity, but I didn't feel like I had personal power at all. So it didn't, I didn't make that connection for a very Mm. long time, but then studying linguistics specifically sociolinguistics in which you like really dig into like this the social implications of language it like really it really framed for me the way inequity is systemic yeah and I don't know that was like my first jump into that and then I started working in like housing projects doing education work Um, and I didn't do that stuff because I, I mean, I honestly got into that, like get out, got into education because I needed a part-time job while I was in school, but then it ended up being like my path for a long time. But yeah, I would say through education and through linguistics is that was my journey. And then when I got to 
UCLA for my master's, I went to a very intentional um, social justice oriented education, like teacher prep program. Mm. So how did you arrive at decoloniality? Mm. Didn't really mention that as yeah. part of your political consciousness yeah. startup. It definitely, <clears throat> colonialism for a very long time seemed like a relic of our history and not a living presence. Yeah. And I, I think that like, so like fat, flash forward, fast forward to be, when I'm a teacher, I became a teacher in LA and I started to kind of like think about where these things originated from. Where do these systems of inequity of oppression originate from? I was heavily influenced by through, like the work of Paulo Freire um, and pedagogy of the oppressed, like throughout my teaching career the school I worked in was like designed after his model of education and, um, conscientization. And so I started to really like examine where the roots of these issues are. And it came to colonialism for me, Mm -hmm. the expansion of whiteness across, across the continent, across the planet to, um, develop economy. Mm. I, I started to like see that as the beginning of our relevant, like the, the, the like of our current time, that's the, the beginning. And then I developed an, a workshop called decolonize your intuition because I started to see um, a lot of my female students. Well, a hundred percent of my female students had been molested or raped And one of the things I had, I felt so powerless listening to their stories. And I, the only thing I could think of to do to help them was how can we work on our personal power so that we have the ability to like say no or fight or get up and leave or like, Mm -hmm. like, how can we do that? And one of the things that I, I saw was that my students didn't trust themselves. And I went through a lot of not, of, you know, a long period of not trusting myself and how do we flex that muscle? And it came down to like trusting our intuition. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, the more I started to explore this and do research, the more I started to come to the understanding that we don't trust our intuition, not because we are, you know, bad at trusting it, but because we're taught very early on not to trust it, but to a, tr- put our trust in greater systems of like, yeah you know, capitalism or the Western European beauty standards or men, patriarchy. And then we, um, we silence ourselves in that way. So like colonialism, I saw it as like something that lives inside of our bodies. Wow. Yeah. That's really radical. Yeah. I mean, it's not though, because people that have been colonized have been saying this for centuries. Mm -hmm. I just, I'm saying it now, but it's not, it's not actually radical. Like we can point to Fanon. We can point to Memi. We can point to, Mm. um, you know, Rigoberto Menchu. We can point to like the earliest moments of colonialism. There was 
decoloniality. Mm. I'm just lucky to be a part of the <laughs> the legacy and the lineage of it. Yeah, happy to be at the party. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so how did you arrive at to have this really good understanding, this very deep understanding of politics and decoloniality? How did you arrive at what I guess we would call a spirituality or a yeah. spiritual sense of the world? Yeah. Um, well, they're not separate for me. They're, it's... Well, can you tell us, do you have, are you part of a religion or do you have a specific practice right. or a specific tradition that you work from? I'm satanic. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I don't, I'm not a part of a religion. I, in fact, my parents did not raise me with religion on purpose. My mom was Catholic, came from a Catholic, many generations of Catholicism, mm-hmm. um, went, you know, K-12 to Catholic school. I don't really remember what my dad's family was. They were something not Catholic, which is, I remember it being an outlier for Mexican American families that they were they're like Presbyterian or something. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but both of them wanted to raise my sister and I outside of the dogma of canonical religions. That's and pretty cool. It is. But I, as a, as a child, I felt a real like sense of unbelonging because all of my friends were Catholic or, <laughs> or like Methodist, all of them, all of them. And I, I, even like when I was in, when I was eight years old, I was in third grade and I, um, joined my friend's church in order to be in the children's choir oh. <laughs> because I wanted to be a part of it so bad. I, I love, I love choral singing. I love singing in choir. Um, and my mom or dad would take me, drop me off, wait outside in the car and then pick me up when it was over. Like they wouldn't even sit through church just for the sake of like watching me perform. They really were against it. Um, but those were some of the best memories I have from childhood is going to that choir. But so, so, and then like later on, actually I became really like obsessed with Judeo Christian origins, but more from like a academic perspective. Mm -hmm. And I had this desire to study biblical languages and I actually had my my first like choice for college was going to like seminary that's shocking I know I know because I had and and I had started going my dad was a born-again Christian later in his life and I started going to church Mm. with him specifically to the bible study because I really like wanted to learn the text I ended up studying the the Tanakh which is the you know Jewish text which are many of the same stories as the Old Testament in Christianity. And I studied the New Testament. I studied the Quran in college. Whoa. So really going in on the Abrahamic religion. Yes. For real. Yes. I think I took, I took some Eastern like philosophy and religion classes too. But then I realized that like, actually what I really love is grammar. So I studied linguistics, but I had a deep, I still am deeply fascinated by like those origin stories creation stories the canonical text the the history of a canon and how they become canonized wow yeah. but no i didn't grow up with that so 
I didn't really grow up with a sense of spirit, I think, or soul. Yeah. Soulfulness or spirituality. Like like you didn't have, it wasn't like a a central thing to gather around. No, not at all. But I also don't feel like I, I feel like I just always knew there was something bigger, but I didn't question it and I didn't even really think about it until I, my dad died in 2007. And then I started to see like full form spirits and hear things and smell psychic activity, like smell spiritual activity. That's a gnarly one. Yeah. You're just smell like rotted. It's not rotted, but it's, it's not rotting like a rotting smell, but it's like a fermenting. No, it's like a sulfur. It's like, Oh, (laughs) stop. No. (laughs) Is it? brimstone <laughs> no Wet like concrete the smell of like opening a very very old book musty musty old moldy not moldy but just oldness but mm. i would smell it like in the middle of like my friend's bedroom hmm. and she'd be like i don't smell it at all i don't know what you're talking about and then lo and behold she'd be like oh yeah something knocked on my window in the middle of the night or you know, like, it, I don't know. I started smelling ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> Leah Garza, ghost smeller. <laughs> now you search for truffles. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds really fat phobic. It is. <laughs> it is. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I feel like when my dad... I said this in another episode. I just listened to the, our love episode, and I said that, like, I couldn't be empowered in the presence of my dad because it challenged Mm. his power so much that he had to die for me to recover my powers. Yeah. That sounds so like a fantasy book, but that's so relatable though. It's real. Um, okay. So that's the backstory. How did you arrive to the current practices? Like, what do I do now? The Kasha. Yeah. Theta, metaphysical mm-hmm. anatomy. Mm-hmm. Um, when did that start? Well, I was teaching. I was working in education. I was teaching, and I my school closed in 2015. Mm-hmm. And I was rehired by the same charter to start a new school at Men's Central Jail, which I was very excited about. Because I really, really wanted to teach inside jails. And I somehow got this full clearance, and my boss was like, that's very weird. Meaning... The jail gave me a two-month full clearance where I could walk to any part of the jail unaccompanied with this clearance. Wow. And she was like, I don't even have that. And she was our superior. And so I was like, well, I'm not going to use it. I'm only going to go where they tell me. But it was just a weird thing. And then so the week I started setting up my classroom and meeting my students. And then the week before school started, they revoked my clearance completely. And they said that I didn't pass LA Sheriff's background check. And I couldn't find out why because my record was was sealed. So I just had this all of a sudden, I was thrust into unemployment. And I didn't know why. I have never, I've never been to court. I've never been evicted. I've never been, like, arrested. I've never been fired. I've never had even a speeding ticket. Mm Mm-hmm. So it didn't make sense. I did get detained by the Muni police. 
but I don't think that's the reason why. Um, so there's a lot of speculation why some people were like, well, your political presence online is probably the reason mm. why. And I was like, no, because there's tons of like organizations that go in and yeah, I don't know. It just didn't make sense. So now I was thrust into unemployment and I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to take a little break because I've never not worked from the time I was 17. And I took my first Akashic class and I took my first Theta Healing class Ooh. and I took them just as like a cute little me time. How did you hear thing. about those things? Um, I went with a friend to Liberate Emporium on Vermont. Oh, cute. And I saw a picture of my Theta teacher, Beatriz Blanco, and I just looked at her face on a flyer and I was like, I must meet this person. So I ended up taking like a little class with her and then doing some sessions and theta healing with her and then was like, I want to learn this. And she was like, well, I'm teaching it. So I took the certification class. Um, I was still on unemployment. I had any, I was sending out resumes, but I was like kind of enjoying myself. Um, and then in January of 2016, I took my first Akashic class and that was a very whoa moment for me. That was just it was a very resonant, profound experience. Like from the moment I met my teacher, Helen Vonderheide, I felt like I had already met her. I knew her when we first opened the records. It felt like I was remembering how to open them. Not like I was mm. learning how to open them. Yeah, It was really like, it brought me a lot of peace, but I was still pushing against that stuff. That seemed like hobbies. So I'm still like trying to apply for jobs, applying, 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 not getting any responses from teaching getting turned down from other stuff at that point I was like maybe I can be an office manager maybe I can be someone's executive assistant Uh maybe I can be an English tutor I got master's degree in education English credential bachelor's in (laughs) linguistics got rejected from three tutoring jobs in English Mm -hmm. who knows what but it just I was just pushing up against a brick wall and it was really killing me because I refused to let go of my identity as a teacher. Yeah. I didn't know what else to do. I didn't know what else was out there for me. One of my friends even said to me, you've always seemed like an employee. I never thought you'd be like an entrepreneur. And I was like, I know me either. I never, I never wanted any of this. I never wanted to not have an income or benefits (laughs) or... I never, I always wanted to depend no one on wants someone that. else. Some people do. Like, some people are like, oh, yeah, I could never work a straight job. You know? Yeah, but it's, I feel like even then you don't want to not have an income. Well, yeah. Of course, everyone wants an income. But I'm saying, like, I never, it never seemed in the realm of even my vision or my, like, I never even had a distant dream yeah. or whiff of a dream that I would somehow be running my own business or oh, just hustling con- like on my own. Like mm-hmm. I just always envisioned myself working till I retire and then dying or whatever you do. Like, yeah. So I couldn't let go of that. And it was killing me. It was, it was really killing me. Like I couldn't pay. I was making decisions like, do I pay my, do I keep my phone turned on or do I buy groceries? Yeah. Do I like yeah. take the chance to go meet with this person and use the gas in my car? It might turn into a job or do I say no to that and keep the gas and do some, I don't know. It was just situations that I had never encountered as an adult 
where there was like, there is no one that's going to save you. Damn. And so anyway, I finally had a breaking point and since all the spiritual practices I was doing were inviting me in more and I was getting invited to do stuff, I finally said yes to that and I finally stopped looking for teaching jobs. Do you feel like more things opened up for you after you leaned into that? I actually said I want a part-time English teaching job Mm -hmm. where I work only three days a week and I make as much as if I were teaching (laughs) full-time. That's what I want. And if you can give it to me, then I'll go back to teaching. And mm. and then I actually got hired for that job. Wow. But it still felt horrible because all of this other stuff had opened up for me. And that felt more resonant. Yeah. I said no to that job despite it being what the exact thing I asked for. And then everything just like went into full bloom for me. Wow. So it's like there's this moment of like getting pushed out of what your life was mm-hmm. and then following the breadcrumbs kind of yeah and then running yeah. back to yeah what you used to be yeah wow yeah and i don't even know if this this is i mean i'm on a path and this is what's happening now but this is not <laughs> yeah it's forever. not a it's a path not a palace like yeah. you're still find me next year when i'm a nail tech finding it you know, that's not a bad... I, I'm just saying it's possible. I contemplate it. Yeah. It's... Hands only, no feet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Women and femmes only. Like, <laughs> I don't... Like, it, like, yeah, I mean, but, but like, I don't know. Like, one of the greatest gifts of saying yes to this path is to be able to, like, feel comfortable driving the car from the back seat and saying wherever it takes me is where it takes me and it's where I'm supposed Mm. to be going and that's exactly the place where the opportunities are instead of trying to control the path and trying to force opportunity to happen it doesn't opportunity doesn't work with you that way yeah yeah wow anything you want to add at the end of this interview I don't think so that was really good you shared such personal stories yeah and it's cool to see how all of these seemingly disjointed aspects or segments of your life kind of like yeah they're all like fit together blend together now yes yeah i don't know i hope this i hope this helped people know me better i don't know yeah totally if it did but i mean we're pretty generous in the regular episodes yeah i mean the regular episodes are just about us generous with our oversharing yeah um it's not my fault you listen (laughs) (laughs) yeah no thank you thank you for interviewing me podcast? <laughs> <laughs>